Today on KIOS at the Movies, I'm here with Patrick Kenny, Diana Martinez, and our own Courtney Bierman to talk about the film Silence of the Lambs. You spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. He's past the others, the last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose. Keeps him alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. So close to the way you're gonna catch him, do you realize that? Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Lecter's missing hand arm. Man's a raving maniac. Who knows what he'll do? Silence of the Lambs came out 30 years ago on Valentine's Day and became an instant classic. Jonathan Demme weaves a masterful psychological thriller that is still today considered to be the only horror film to win an Academy Award for Best Picture. It includes incredible performances by Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter and Jodie Foster as our main protagonist, Clarice. Now, Courtney, Diana, and I have seen this film numerous times, but this is Patrick's first time to see it. So with that, here's our conversation about Silence of the Lambs. So Patrick, <laughs> yeah. you've never seen Silence of the Lambs before today. Uh, yeah, I watched it on Friday for this recording, so a few day, it's been a few days. Yeah, and it's, it was an experience that I think we've all had, where it's like there's a, such a, a movie that's so ubiquitous in culture that we haven't seen before, but... Watching it was an experience of, you know, connecting so many dots where it was like, oh, yeah, I, I know a lot about this movie, a lot. Yeah, tell me, what were your initial thoughts about it? Well, here's the weirdest thing. So I was very trepidati- trepidatious about watching this movie. Um, I don't really like scary movies, so I was nervous about it. And then watching it, I realized I had seen three scenes in their entirety before. I'd already seen the autopsy scene um the apprehension scene and the escape scene and watching the movie i was like these are the three most traumatic scenes (laughs) of the entire movie so not knowing that those were the most intense scenes my level of uh uh, anxiety going into it was so high and then so the experience of watching it i was kind of it was a relief (laughs) uh was what i was kind of like feeling the whole time was like oh okay, nothing's as bad as that one thing. And then that one thing would happen. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm past that. It was a relief. So you consider this a scary movie? 
100%. And anybody who thinks that it isn't, I think is just has it has seen it too many times or it's been too long since they've seen it for the first time because it is absolutely a scary movie. It's terrifying. I do think that this movie has probably the most suspenseful scene in any film. It's horrifying. Um, so I want to know a little bit, uh, Courtney, you brought up the idea of doing this film. What does yeah. this film mean to you? It is something I've seen a bunch of times, not necessarily in full. I think most of my rewatches have been like, you know, the first half or the second half yep. when it's been on cable. But um, I kind of can't remember a time when I didn't know this movie. I, I'm pretty sure I, I remember watching it for the first time when I was 12 or 13 on vacation with my family. Um, and it didn't really make an impression on me that time, I think, because I was so young. Um, but Patrick, you talk about this being a really scary movie, and I agree with you, but I don't remember ever being scared watching it. it it's very atmospheric, of course, but um, and and the the um, I don't even know what to call the scene at the end, but I, I guess the capture scene at the end uh, it is like objectively well shot and objectively really tense and scary. But um, I guess I'm able to watch this film and kind of walk away, and I think. A lot of that just has to do with, um, I, I think I'm a generation younger than you guys and just growing up with a different kind of horror, which was really pioneered by this movie, of course. So um, I guess what this movie means to me is it's uh, kind of a universally loved example of like really solid filmmaking and, uh, you know, a cultural touchstone. And it's it's really big on in like, you know, like queer film Twitter spaces. And it's really fun to dissect it in, in like online spaces like that. I guess when I think of this movie, I, I think of how compelling it is and like infinitely rewatchable and also how much I enjoy it as a pop culture phenomenon. Yeah, Diana, what did this film mean to you? What's your history with this movie? I think I've seen this movie a total of four times in my entire life. So like, I don't really have like a personal connection with it. I think what was interesting for me, like watching it this last time over is how much of this like true crime genre like takes from this film, like the, that shot, right? The like, we're going to go get them and we think they're going to get them, but it's actually not like that has been used by every like true crime show and movie like since Silence of the Lambs. Um, so for me, it was really interesting to kind of see like this is the beginning of that of that genre in like a contemporary way. And the idea that you can like learn the pathology of a serial killer like that's like a very like modern idea and that's what all these true crime shows and podcasts like hinge around now um i don't consider this a scary movie because i consider like slashers and murderers different than like this other genre of of scary films i think for me it just feels weird like it's hard for me to really enjoy this film um without thinking of like how much that genre just has blown up. And for me, it feels really icky that it has. It feels weird to like revel in, um, you know, the murder or like rape of women in particular, honestly, um, and think that it's like entertainment or cool. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a really well done film. I love Jodie Foster. Um, I've always thought she's like one of the best actresses. But I think other than than that like for me this is just a kind of not a film on my radar like it's good but it's also not like a touch point for me in, in any kind of cultural way I think for me this is like the first film that I really 
after I started getting into cinema and like watching like a lot of, um, you know, independent films and foreign films and stuff like that. Um, like this is something I knew of growing up, obviously, cause we all have seen the images of Hannibal Lecter. We've all kind of, uh, you know, we're in that age group that, you know, I think I was six years old when this movie came out. Um, so it's just kind of been there in the background, but I didn't really give it a chance because, you know, when I was kind of first getting into cinema, I was kind of anti watching anything that was like Hollywood. <laughs> and I think that this film is just something that I watched that just kind of blew apart that kind of idea that Hollywood couldn't put out good movies, you know? And it was like that first one that I was kind of like dove deeper into and it made me discover who Jonathan Demi was and led me to um, his films. And then also just the idea that a horror film can be so much more than just a slasher film or something like that. Something that could go deeper and have such an amazing, you know, woman like lead the story. Um, for me, it's just kind of one of... You know, this is one of those films, it's not something that I particularly enjoy watching, but the feelings of the suspense and um, I think this is the best case scenario of this type of film. And it seems less to be reveling in in the violence than it is in um, stopping the violence, I guess. which I think is something that's lost now. <laughs> um, if I could add on to that, I, I agree. I think, um, and I, I, I agree with Diana too, that it, it did usher in kind of an icky wave of horror movies um, that I think we still, even though there are a lot of really excellent like independent horror movies being made right now, I, I still think we haven't really shaken that off. But to me, at least, Silence of the Lambs, is a lot more soulful, I think, and um, I think gives a lot, <clears throat> a lot more interiority to its victims than like a slasher film. I don't, I don't really think of this as a slasher film. As horror films go, it's relatively bloodless. It, it's a violent movie, but it's, I, I don't think of it, and and maybe this is unfair, and maybe you disagree with me. I don't think of it as a misogynistic movie. I think that Demi. Um, made a career out of really sympathetic main characters and really complex characters um, of, regardless of gender. And Clarice is such a fascinating and well-written heroine that heroine that um, yeah, I just I, I think it's I think it's more nuanced than than the, the really gory, really uh, you know, throwaway women horror movies that that followed. Yeah, and I think it does a good job at even taking the kind of what the whole psychological profile, like what the the early FBI behavioral programs and stuff, what they were doing. I think it does a really good job at pulling that into the film as well. Um, and especially with Clarice, like, I don't know, that character is just so iconic and that I just can't help but love the film because of that. I think, yeah, Jodie Foster's performance is by far the best part of the, of the movie uh, for me. Um, I'm curious 
you know, Patrick, since this was your first time to really sit down and watch it, what your thoughts about, you know, the Hannibal Lecter character? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it was an effective. I mean, in a way, this is not a kind of movie that I like typically. So but it almost made me feel like I had seen it way earlier because of all of the parodies and all of the like bad versions of this that I have seen since. So there was an experience while I was watching it where I was like, oh, this is the really good thing that I've seen so many bad versions of and so many parodies of, um, especially Hannibal Lecter. Um, so I do feel a little bit like I was robbed of seeing, of the experience of seeing this early on and being like really actually getting to enjoy this movie in a way, because yeah, I just, when I was watching it, I was just essentially like making connections to the parodies, to the bad versions, seeing how this influenced a bunch of things that I really don't like. Um, anyway, to get, to answer your question, Anthony Hopkins did a good job. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins is incredible in this film. Um, I'm curious, Courtney, Diana, are there any films that were kind of, you know, that you can think of or in your, or in the canon of like films that have to be watched that are just, you know, holes in your kind of filmography of things you've seen right now? Sorry, things that we have not seen that, that are, yeah. where to start? <laughs> like, like just what's one, because the one that comes to mind right now as Patrick is talking about just missing this one is I've never seen apocalypse now. And that's one you have to see, but I just haven't seen it yet. And I'm scared. I'm going to have a similar reaction that Patrick has that I'm like, okay, yeah. you know, I see. <laughs> I'm not sure that you do have to see it. I, I don't have We're a fine. take. I just think it's I, fine without it. Yeah. And I do think your experience will be what I had, which is not necessarily like a great film experience. You'll just, I think, you know what? If, it's on the big screen and you are in the mood. I think that'd be the, cause I kind of, I think this, my silence of the lambs experience would have been better. Yeah. If I'd been in an immersive theater experience, I feel like if you can see apocalypse now in a theater, like an amazing restoration, uh, and you're in the mood for that kind of experience, then yes. Otherwise you're probably good. Yeah. Honestly, I had that experience with psycho. Like I've always loved psycho, you know, in theory, but you know, I would watch it on a TV and back in the early two thousands and it would be on a tiny square TV and it sounded bad. And you're like, okay, I get why this is like, you know, it's just different than a lot of films in the, in 1960. And I can understand that. But when I saw it in a movie theater and that opening song comes on with the title cards and, and then it goes into those scenes, it was like so affecting that I think that that's a huge part of uh, Silence of the Lamb, Lambs because, man, I just that that scene at the end again is just so I've never felt such visceral suspense in a film than whenever I saw that. See, I think Apocalypse Now for me is one of those movies where I have the same Patrick experience. That for me, the soundtrack, it is the soundtrack of all Vietnam War movies and so i can't like hear these songs like the twangs of the guitar without like rolling my eyes and be like oh i guess we're in the 60s <laughs> like it's just um but also like to me like i mean just generally i think like just because something is like really popular or even just because it's critically lauded like doesn't necessarily make it worthwhile 
right? Like I think there are, especially like within the horror genre, like I think a lot of films that have been taken seriously for a really long time that like are really like problematic and misogynist um, and that like maybe we need to revisit as like why people are asked to like watch these things, um, you know, as cinephiles or like as film students. Um, And I think like I agree with Courtney, like I think that this is like a good version of what true crime can be. Um, But there are also really terrible versions of which we're seeing like uploaded on Netflix every week, like, you know, podcasts every week. Um, I don't know. I I really appreciate this movie for um, still being one of the smarter entries into the genre, I think. Yeah, it set the standard and then everybody else just went under it. And didn't even care to try to match it. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like what what y'all pointed out is like true. I think Jonathan Demme as a filmmaker, like I, um, you know, like there's a lot of discussion about like the transphobia of this film. Um, But knowing Jonathan Demme and like knowing his work, um, you know that this is probably more a product of its time than like an, an ideology of like the filmmaker or any kind of like transphobia on the part of the filmmaker because Jonathan Demme has for so long like been really good about like representation of like female characters and queer characters and I think like that's really important um I actually read an interview with Jodie Foster that went up I think just three days ago where she was asked about this um and she said you know I know Jonathan and I know if he could go back and like revisit this movie and remake this movie that he probably would you know look more into that part of representation but the film, you know, does address this directly as well in a conversation with, with Hannibal. Um, she yeah. said uh, transsexuals are very passive. I think that's the line. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. And he's like, well, because he's not. <laughs> right. That's the pathology that he's decided to well pretend that he is. But it's actually something much worse yeah. out of neglect and abuse. And I think that like that goes by so quickly but I think it's unfortunate that people, some people do mm-hmm. remember it as, um, you know, this like transphobic film when I think the film does try to um, be smarter about like the kinds of people that like commit. Yeah, and, it, and it is loosely based on a real person. You know, it is technically it is kind of based on three. It's uh, it's Ed yeah. Gein, um, uh, the guy there was uh, one whose name I'm forgetting and um, and Ted Bundy a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The way that the way the Buffalo Bill picks up people is directly like um, Ted Bundy. J- jumping jumping off what what Diana said, yeah, I you, I I totally agree that 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 was not Demi's intention, and and the movie he made, I think, directly after uh, Silence of the Lambs was Philadelphia, wasn't it? So Philadelphia came out in '93, and then yeah. Uh, Right, it was the film after. Speaking of blind spots, I have not seen Philadelphia, but um, I know that it is considered to be like among the first um, sympathetic and you know character or, uh, portrayals of a gay man with uh, living with AIDS, um, and also the the cast and crew. Um, I think there were protests at the Oscars when when this movie was nominated. Um, regarding its treat, treatment of um, trans and queer characters. And they were like, we were blindsided. We were not expecting that at all. So I don't know. I mean, of course, 
transphobia, homophobia exist regardless of intent. But 30 years on when the conversation has changed so much and when this film has largely been embraced by queer film critics and just queer film film fans, I I think that um, I I think it's fair to look at it with that perspective. Uh, but is there anything else anyone anyone wants to say about Silence of the Lambs? It came out on, on Valentine's Day, 1991. Uh, has anybody read any interviews or anything if that was specifically intentional to be like, <laughs> I meant to do some research and I I, I think it was just a Friday probably that year or a Thursday. Um, and also that was kind of, because when this went on to be- win Best Picture, that was, no nobody saw that coming. Because um, that was kind yeah. of, that, I mean, you guys know this, it's like the graveyard uh, mm-hmm. time for movies to be released so yeah it's so rare to see a film that gets critically lauded like this and win so many awards come out in february because in traditional film times which was already changing because of streaming but um so yeah usually they don't release their good movies in the early part of the year because you know the all the um academy members forget about it by the time the awards come around so the fact that it stuck around that long is pretty interesting too. So with that, uh, what should people watch with Silence of the Lambs? Um, so my recommendation is not a film at all. It is a film that I have recently started watching um, during quarantine. There's so many of these like true crime shows, things like at some point you just got it because you've exhausted everything else that you've seen. So we recently got into watching Luther um, starring Idris Elba. Um, and there's a really interesting relationship in it where he's actually basically friends with a Hannibal Lecter-ish um, character named Alice Morgan. She's like kind of a murderer. She's also likes him. She's very strange um and it's an interesting dynamic between the two because i have found myself being like oh i hope they get together and then it gets weird and then my feelings are weird so but watch luther (laughs) um there are you know plenty of murders to be had on the show but i do think it's an interesting kind of um depiction of the relationship between like the investigator and the subject and kind of like the way they can be both drawn into each other's pathologies. And I wanted to find some kind of counter programming since this isn't really my genre. I don't have any like anywhere good for you all to go (laughs) after this. Um, What I really wanted to find was like a documentary on (laughs) Q Lazarus who sings, uh, who's the, who performs the version of uh, Goodbye Horses in this movie, which I love in the story about how Jonathan Demme met Q Lazarus. She was his cab driver playing the demo of Goodbye Horses. That's how it ended up in the movie. Anyway, there's no documentary about Q Lazarus. So um, I looked at a list of 1991 films. My favorite movie was released in 1991. That would be Point Break. Watch that. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Great counter-programming. Yeah, I like that. In in the five minutes I've had to give this some thought, the first thing that came to mind was um, Lady, Lady Macbeth, uh, the 2016 British film directed by one second. Uh, William Oldroyd, uh, starring Florence Pugh. Uh, this was the first time I saw her in anything, and she is excellent in it. She plays a young woman who is uh, kind of paired off, like forced into a marriage with a much older man, and he doesn't care about her. And this is in, um, I believe it's uh, the late 18th century, 
and uh, she starts having an affair with um, one of the stable hands, and they uh, plot to kill the husband. And it's just, it's a really uh, excellent, um, some of the reviews after it came out, you know, referenced Hitchcock, and I think that's true just in terms of, of the tension and the tone. Um, but the landscape is beautiful. I think they filmed this somewhere in northern Scotland. So it's just like stunning and bleak. And Florence Pugh, it was like her star making turn. Um, and just, I don't know, I'm thinking about uh, interesting women very successfully leading interesting movies. So, um, yeah, my recommendation is Lady Macbeth. Florence Mine's- Pugh is a gift. <laughs> I-, I need to see that. I've never seen that one. Um, my pick is really on the nose but i think that as far as like these types of films go that it does a really good job about making a film about the obsession with these kind of stories um and it's zodiac from david fincher um jake gyllenhaal mark ruffalo um robert downey jr chloe sevenly it's really 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 intense yeah, it's like three hours long where nobody finds out anything. No one is saved. And it's about the obsession. And and I think that it's almost kind of predicted the era that we're in with the obsession with true crime and stuff like that. Um, uh, it's based on a real story um, with fictionalized characters, I think, though. Yeah, with fictionalized characters. And, you know, David Fincher kind of has a preoccupation with a lot of this. He did Seven. He did uh, the Netflix series uh, Mindhunter, um, which is specifically about how behavioral uh, studies in the FBI and in the serial killers, like, started to happen, which inspired Silence of the Lambs. So it's kind of this <laughs> circular thing. But I think Zodiac is one of the few films in this kind of genre that I think gets somewhere close to Silence of the Lambs as far as uh, being interesting. Well, Silence of the Lambs came out 30 years ago this Valentine's Day. So enjoy your Valentine. (laughs) Uh, Watch something scary. For KIOS, I'm Joshua LeBure. For KIOS also, I am Courtney Bierman. For Film Streams, I'm Patrick Kinney. For Film Streams, I'm Diana Martinez. 